Well, those of you who have uh, children still in your home right now will have a little bit easier time remembering the process whereby, over time, we seek to train our children to be a contributing part of a family, to be a contributing member in a family. If, if maybe your kids have moved out, you're just going to have to remember back to when the kids were in the home, or maybe just remember when you were a child in your own home. And mom and dad were trying to teach you what it meant to contribute, to be a part, do your chores, do whatever it is. We're all a part of this together. But if you can remember what that process is like, you might recall that training like this, it's, it's more of an art, more of a, a trajectory than it is an exact science. And that success is often going to be defined differently from child to child. It's not going to look the same for each one. And what you might also remember is that Although the ultimate goal is to create a family where everyone is contributing towards a common goal, willing effort, willing effort, especially at first, is usually the prize more than the product of those efforts, right? Because, well, when you set a seven-year-old in front of a kitchen counter full of dishes for them to wash, when you put a 10-year-old behind a lawnmower, two acres of lawn to cut, um, the, the, the exact Outcome of that is not going to be necessarily the point. Having a perfect result, uh, having them see themselves as able to do it, that's not even the point. The, the point is much more that you develop in them over time a willingness to just offer what they have. To just try to be like, okay, you've given me this, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to offer what I have. And I'm telling you, you train a child to approach every need that they encounter like that, and it's worth every single instance where you had to go back and redo the job yourself that, uh, in order for it to actually be done. It's worth every bit of it. If they can learn to just, hey, I'm just going to offer what I have. So we're continuing this mini-series we began last Sunday entitled Questioning Faith, where we are looking at questions that I believe God is asking to every single one of us as it relates to the practice of our faith. And the way that what we observe what we see in front of us can very oftentimes lead us to resist and to rebel against where God is calling us to go and as a result, miss out on the fullness of all he's calling us to. Last week, we looked at the question, where have I called you to go? And we looked at the way that our fearful response to the size of the obstacles between us and where God has called us to go can lead us to rebel against him. Today, what we're going to look at is this next question from our passage here in Mark 6. What do you have? That's the question today. What do you have? And the reason I want us to look at this question together is because sometimes it's not the size of the thing in front of you that leads you to fearfully rebel against what God has called you to. It's the size of what you see inside you that leads you to do that. And almost exactly like we began talking about, what I'm praying will all come out of here this morning uh, knowing and believing is that when it comes to being a contributing member of God's family and joining him in his work of building his kingdom in this world, it's not a perfect result that is the point. It's not even our ability to see what it is he's called us to. Is our, our, uh, we're able to do it. The point, every time from God's perspective, is your willingness to offer what you have. From God's perspective, the point is simply your willingness to offer whatever you have with the trust that he will take your offering that seems so insignificant and multiply it a thousand times over in order to see whatever need he's revealed to you met. 
And he calls each one of us to this, not because he needs our offerings, not because God is deficient in himself in some way, but because his desire is that we would be contributing members towards the common goal of seeing his kingdom come, seeing his kingdom built in this world. And because he knows our own faith, our own reliance in him will be grown as we follow his call to join him and see just how much he can do with our willing offerings. And in order that we might see that and live that out as the family of God that gathers here, I want to look at our passage this morning in just two ways. I want to show you Jesus' call to join in his kingdom work, and then Jesus' call to give to his kingdom work. Just those two things. Jesus' call to join in and to give to his kingdom work. So if you've closed your Bibles, would you open them again to that passage in Mark? Follow along with me as we look at this next question I believe God is asking each one of us today. What do you have? Okay, so let's look first of all at Jesus' call to join his kingdom work. Jesus' call to join in his kingdom work. Now, just to give us a bit of context, help us place what's going on in our passage, Jesus has, has come onto the scene at the beginning of Mark's gospel with his baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And from that time, as he goes on to minister and call disciples, he is growing uh, in his popularity uh, pretty much everywhere he goes and with everyone he meets, except, of course, the religious rulers. They never seem to have a good relationship with Jesus. But this is still early in Jesus' ministry, so at this point, religious leaders are just kind of more confused and threatened by Jesus than, you know, we need to find a way to kill this guy. They're still at this stage over here. But by the time you get to our passage here in Mark 6, just before this miraculous feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has just sent out his 12 disciples in pairs of two to go out and continue his ministry in the surrounding towns and villages. He's told them to go preach the good news of the kingdom of God, and he's given them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal the sick. So they've gone out, and, and they must have done a pretty good job of it, because by the time we get to our passage here in verse 30, the disciples are coming back to rejoin Jesus, and verse 31 tells us, look there, there's so many people, they're so crowded by people coming in to, hey, well, pray for me, would you touch me, would you heal me, would you bring me to Jesus? I want to, they're so crowded by people that they don't even have a chance to stop and eat. It's just like endless service. And so sensing their, their fatigue and being overwhelmed, Jesus wisely calls them to come away with me. Come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. And that, honestly, that's a whole separate sermon that we could preach. But actually something really, really important as it relates to our persevering in serving others. Namely, it's just acknowledging this, the reality that Jesus and his kingdom are not served by you burning out. You, we need to know and believe that. You burning out, you just taking on so much and having no limits and boundaries, and it's just like getting taken out of the game because you can't go anymore, that's not God's well done to you. I used to have a phrase back in my parents' day where they would say, oh, and I'd rather burn out than rust out for Jesus. And I know what they meant by that, but actually, no, like burning out for Jesus is, is not what God's intent is for you as his child. So we need to have intentional patterns of rest and Sabbath like we see Jesus and his disciples trying to do here. Get away, come away with me and rest. So they, they take off and they try to do this. They, they try to get away. But if you look at verse 32 and 33 now, although they're trying to get away for this much needed rest, the crowds... It's not a big lake. They can see from the shore where they're going. And they're like, I think that's Jesus and his disciples. They follow them. They run around the lake to meet them where it is they're going to. 
so that by the time you get there, verse 34, by the time they get to whatever solitary place they were trying to get to, there's already a huge crowd that are like, hi, can I be first in line? So not so much for the rest. It's not going to happen. And yet, while any of us, like the any of us, when we see that, we would likely have a, f- a whole mix of emotions. We'd be feeling uh, panic. We'd be feeling frustrated at a time like this. Look at the response of Jesus in verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large, saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things. Like that's, that is not the response that you'd expect, right, from someone who's just tried to get away from their serving endlessly. They can't even eat. They're serving so much. To see a big crowd of people who want to be served and have compassion on them, that's just not the response you would expect. Like I can imagine someone like Peter, he's probably steering the boat as they're heading around. He looks in the distance, sees this crowd, and he was just like, oh, no, 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 no. No, okay, are you serious? Like, they're already there? Okay, guys, everybody look away from the shore. Just to pretend you don't see anything, I'm going to sail us to the other side of the lake now. Let's just get away. Jesus, don't worry, I'm going to get us to a solitary place. And then Jesus being like, no, 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 Peter. Peter, I, I want you to take me over to them. Let's go over there. And, and Jesus having that look in his eye like he did when he first met Peter. He told him to throw the nets on the other side of the boat, and he had that record catch of fish. And so he's like, he doesn't argue anymore. He goes, and we see as soon as Jesus gets to the shore, he immediately begins to shepherd these lost sheep, teaching them many things. And the text doesn't tell us this, but I wonder if as the disciples watched Jesus, they know he's tired, see him get out and begin teaching and blessing, uh, touching and healing these people desperate to be seen and touched and taught and loved that if they didn't just kind of see like, okay, I get it. I, I see why it was that Jesus had responded by compassionately serving them instead of serving his own needs. But as the disciples rightly point out, this really is a remote place where they are. They're not making this up. It is actually a remote place. They've all gathered. And it's late in the day. So in verse 36, look here. The disciples say to Jesus, uh, It's a remote place. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Seems reasonable. And if you are uh, someone who grew up with your parents taking you to church, you know exactly what's going on here because this is like at the end of every Sunday service when you think it's time to go and then all of a sudden your parents are like tapping the compass card for the next trip where they're chatting with people and talking and visiting and hugging and praying they're not, they're not ready to go anywhere, and you're tired because you're a kid, and you're antsy, and you're just ready to go, but you're watching, you're kind of like, I guess that's good, I guess it seems like this is meaningful, but hi, I need to eat, I need to get out of here, I need rest. So you come up to your parents, be like, hey, hey, mom and dad, hi, yeah, I, I, this is so great, this is so great what you're doing here with the visiting, I love it, but man, whoa, look at the time, it's so late in the day, you know, the, the white spots are going to be filled up by now. You should send the people, these friends away until they have time to get somewhere to eat or they're not going to get anything to eat. You should really send, let, let them go. So that's kind of here what the disciples are doing. They're, they're kind of concerned for the crowd. But really, what they want is this retreat that they're very much in need of. So they're like, I think you should send the people away. Let them go get something to eat. We can all relax and we can get going on. But here's the thing. Look with me at verse 37. 
in response to this disciple's very reasonable request, let's dismiss the crowd so they can go get something to eat, Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. I want you to join me in meeting this need. You give them something to eat. And, and I want to just stop here for a minute before we keep going and talk about what this would have meant to the disciples and what it means to you and I today as a follower of Jesus. Because here's the thing. Because we've read this passage or we already see what happens, we see how it ends up. If you're at all like me, we have a tendency to read Jesus' command here. You give them something to eat, like he's just kind of setting them up for what he's about to do. Like Jesus is almost like flexing on his disciples, like, can you meet that need? Go and meet it. Oh, you can't do it? All right, watch this. Watch what I can do. It seems like that. And actually, in John's telling of this account, he says specifically, he says, Jesus said this to test them because he knew what he was about to do. But because we've read the rest of the passage, what we also know is Jesus wasn't just testing his disciples because in the very next verses, he takes all the food they have and has them give it out to the people. So he really is saying, like, you give them something to eat. He's not just setting them up, which means, yes, he's giving his disciples an impossible request in order to grow their faith and demonstrate his power over creation. Yes, and amen. But he's also calling his followers to actually join him in what he's about to do, not just sit back and watch him do it. And the reason for that, as I said when we began, is not at all because Jesus needs their offering, not because he needs them in order to carry out this miracle, but because Jesus invites them in to serve alongside him as he's building his kingdom. They get a front row seat to see what this kingdom renewal, this kingdom breaking into this world looks like as they join Jesus in what he's doing, and their own faith and trust in him has grown in the process. And what I'm saying to you is that if you are a follower of Jesus today, the very same thing is true for us. The exact same thing, this exact same invitation, come and join me in what I'm doing, is true for you if you're a follower of Jesus today. In 1 John 2.6, John plainly says, this is how we know we are in Christ. This is how we know we are in him. We, we have this relationship with him. We are, we're a part of his family. How? What, because you've prayed the prayer? You come to church every Sunday. Um, you put some money in the offering plate. Uh, maybe you raise your hand at the right time during the songs. Is that it? This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to abide in him must walk as Jesus walked. That's how we know. Okay, how did Jesus walk? One of Jesus' own clearest statements is in Mark 10, 45, when he says, For the Son of Man did not come into this world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how Jesus walked. And this is something I've said for as long as I've been a pastor at this church, and I'm going to continue to say to you as long as you'll have me here. When you place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and have his Holy Spirit come into you, which is the guarantee of his saving of you, that you are one of his child, you are not just saved from something, you're also saved to something. You are not only saved from the penalty of your sins, you are saved to service in the kingdom of God. To join Jesus, to serve alongside him, and to give your life in service just as Jesus did. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. 
What did the Father send Jesus to do? Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And he says, I'm sending you now as followers of mine in the exact same way. Why? Why? Because Jesus cleared your criminal record and gave you his spotless one, and so now you owe him? Now you've got to earn that? No. Not at all. But because your faith, your trust in him might be strengthened and built up daily as you serve alongside him and watch his kingdom breaking in to renew this broken world. That's why Jesus calls you to serve alongside him. Not, I, I need you to do this. I need you to serve with me or I can't do it. I'm doing this. I want you to come in and serve alongside me and see. I want your faith to be grown as you see what it is I'm doing. I want to invite you into this. That's also why whenever people tell me that they don't, they don't see evidence of the work of God in this world or in their lives, one of the first questions I'm going to ask them is, where are you serving right now? You don't see the work of God anywhere? Where are you serving? Because that's the thing. When, when you're working alongside Jesus, when you're working where Jesus is working, you see the kingdom of God breaking in again and again and again. That's what the disciples saw as they did this with a physical presence of God. It's what we see when we join Jesus and where he is. He's calling us to serve. We see the kingdom breaking in as we serve. Okay, so that's Jesus' call to join in his kingdom work. The last thing I want to look at together with you is Jesus' call to give to his kingdom work. Jesus' call to give to his kingdom work. And I know, I get it, okay, if you've been in church for any length of time, you hear pastors start talking about giving to God's kingdom work, and people begin to get nervous and start clutching their purses more closely to them. Let me just invite you to just breathe, relax. We've already taken the offering. The plates are not coming out. That's not what we're doing, okay? And besides that, uh, the, the giving of our finances to the work of God, that's just one. That's like one of many ways that we give to Jesus' kingdom work. So let's go back to the passage and, and see what this means, see what this looks like. So we saw at the beginning of verse 37, Jesus had made this impossible request of his disciples as he invites them to serve these shepherdless people alongside him, saying, you give them something to eat. You give what you have to serve this need. But as we read on in verse the second half of verse 37, look there. They said to him, but that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and to give it to them? And, and like, remember where they're coming from, right? Tired, hungry, worn out, needing a rest. Every commentator I read, almost every commentator, read a tone of sarcasm in the disciples' question. They're just like, oh, right. Yeah, that sounds great, Jesus. Sure. Yeah, do you know what? I think, I think in about 2,000 years there's going to be a Costco right around the corner. If you think people wouldn't mind waiting just that long, we can absolutely get enough bread. Yeah, that's a great, great plan. Totally we can do that. So half joking, but also kind of at their breaking point, right? Like they're just kind of like, okay, come on, Jesus. Like you know very well we don't have enough bread to feed them. Where, where are you going with this? But rather than back off just yet, Jesus asked them to endure one final question. And we see it in verse 38. Look with me there. He asks them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So they go, and they come back with, with all that they've been able to find, all that they have to offer, and they tell Jesus, we've got just five loaves and two fish. And I want to just quickly say there, they bring all that they have. When we talk about Jesus taking a little and being able to do lots with it, that's not an invitation to just give the least amount that you can. 
They, they're bringing, it's not a lot, but they're bringing all that they have to Jesus. And it's only now that Jesus tells them, have the crowd sit down on the grass in groups. And raising his eyes to heaven and giving thanks, he breaks the loaves and has his disciples distribute the loaves and fish, which he's now miraculously multiplied. He's taken that offering and multiplied it. So as verse 44 tells us, 5,000 men, along with their wives and children, as the other gospel writers tell us, some say there was upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people fed in this miracle. All fed, not just fed, but fed to satisfaction, fed to full, and there's 12 baskets full of leftovers collected afterwards. Unbelievable multiplication. And what I want us to come away with in response to all that is not just thinking, wow, look at all those people Jesus fed with so little. What I also want you to come away with thinking about is look at all those people Jesus fed with so little. Look at what he could do with an offering that was no way adequate to meet that need. Because here's the thing. It's not like the five loaves and two fish was the magic formula, right? Like if they'd come with four loaves, or if they had three loaves and two dinner rolls, Jesus would have been like, no. If you just had a little bit more, I could do this. Can you, can you ask some people? Then I can do this. It's that, that wasn't the point. But that's not the point at all. In fact, some of you in here probably will be familiar with stories of guys like George Mueller who uh, started orphanages in Bristol, England to serve all the street children that he found there, who one morning when all the children gathered for breakfast, 300 children, he was told, we don't have anything to give them. So he had actually nothing to offer. And yet he still had the children sit down and gave thanks for God's provision of food. Only to moments later hear two separate knocks on the door, one from a bread maker and one from a milkman with a broken down milk cart who just said, if you can use this food, it's going to spoil we won't be able to get it back in time if you could use this. And the needs are provided for. So it's not the size. That's the point I'm trying to get across. It's not the size of the offering. That's not the point. The point is a demonstration of what Jesus can do with the little that was freely offered to him in service of others. That's the point. And I need you to see that. I need you to really see that and take hold of it because as I said when we began sometimes it's the size of the obstacle in front of you that leads you to fearfully rebel against what God's called you to do sometimes it's the size of what you see inside of you that will lead you to do that you see the size of your gifting of your talent you see the size of the space available on your calendar you see the size of what you're able to put into the offering you see your age you see the size of, I don't know, your physical limitations, your emotional capacity to serve other people, and you just think, what, what could Jesus do with this? It's not nearly enough. And so, rather than offer it, you withhold it. But, but don't you see? When, when, when Jesus came to his disciples that day in the remote place, he didn't say, I'm inviting you to come in and serve alongside me. You guys can clearly see the size of the need in front of you. Do you have enough to meet the need? That's not the question he asked. He said, I'm inviting you to serve alongside me. What do you have? What do you have? Five loaves and two fish? Perfect. That'll be just enough. Because it's never about the size of what you can give to Jesus' kingdom work. 
It's what he's looking for is just your willingness to offer whatever you have. Which is why I believe that's the question God is asking us this morning. To think for yourself, what do you have? What do I have to offer? Not, not does it look like enough. What has God given me that I can offer? So what we're going to do in a minute as we close out this morning is there's going to be a slide up on the screen in a little bit. I'm going to ask Ethan in a minute here to put this up. And it's going to be listing some areas at our church. And the leaders who lead those ministries in areas that need help, that, need, that have a need in our church where people can bring that need. And I know already, as I look around at the faces here, I already know there are many of you who already serve in all kinds of ways. You're giving in all kinds of ways and you've experienced the joy of what it means to serve alongside Jesus as you offer whatever you have. And you see him do these incredible things because you get a front row seat as you serve to watch what God can do with the little you offer. I promise you, you speak to anyone of the staff here at this church, you speak to me, you speak to our board members, anybody who's serving on a team here, they'll tell you, I don't feel like what I have is nearly enough. I just offer it and I see Jesus do these incredible things. I want to just say, uh, along with the blessing that comes, that Jesus offers when we willingly do that, I want to just say to you myself, I want to say thank you. If that's you this morning, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Watching you serve week after week like that, that grows my own faith, even as your faith is grown at the same time. But what I also know is that some of you will see a list like this with a bunch of opportunities, and you're going to have one of two responses. Some of you will see an invitation to, to serve, and your response will be like the one the disciples had initially when they saw the crowd. Just frustration, indifference, like, are you kidding me? Like, you don't know what my week looks like, okay? You don't know what my course load looks like. You don't know all this stuff I'm already doing. Are you kidding me right now? I'm tired. I've got, like, this. There's no way that's going to be enough. There's no way I can meet that need. And you're going to be just kind of annoyed and actually frustrated by this list. If that's where you're at, let me just say, these, these are opportunities to serve here. These are just examples of ways to serve. That's what we're looking at here. This is not necessarily saying you must meet these or all of these needs, although I would say if you're a member here at this church, that's one of the things you've committed to do. You've committed to serve here particularly in this place in order to see the ministry of this church continue. But may I also remind you that if you know Jesus as your Savior, like I said, you've not just been saved from something, you've been saved to something. And the call to deeper intimacy with God, who did not come to serve, but, be ser but to be served, but to serve, that's the call to serve alongside him somewhere. To serve alongside him somewhere. And I know others of you, if that's not your reaction, maybe your reaction to an invitation like this will be like the one the disciples had after Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And you're just like, <laughs> you're feeling like frustrated, you're feeling panic, you're feeling fear that what you have to offer is impossibly small compared to the need. And you just think, I can't, I can't do that. I, I don't have any way to help. I'm glad that there's those needs. I, I can't meet that need. If that's where you're at, can I simply remind you? Jesus' question to his disciples, then is Jesus' question still to you this morning. It's not, do you have enough to meet the need that you see? It's simply, what do you have? What do you have? Would you offer that 
in service to me and watch what I can do with it. Because here's the thing for all of us. We have a good shepherd in Jesus who had compassion on us when we were like sheep without a shepherd. He loves us, protects us, clothes us, feeds us, satisfies all our needs, and like that crowd in the passage makes us lie down in green pastures. And we have a shepherd who in the end offered up all that he had in service to God and laid down his life for the sheep. He's the one ultimately who's giving this invitation to you this morning, inviting you to come and serve alongside him and watch what he can do with the little you have to offer. So here's the thing. When you look at this miracle, this passage, just as it's pointing backwards, it's actually the miracle itself is pointing backwards to a time when Jesus also, well, God actually miraculously gave bread to his people in the wilderness. In a sense, that's what this miracle is pointing backwards to, but it's also pointing ahead to what would happen in two years' time at a Passover supper that Jesus ate with his disciples the night before he was betrayed, or the night that he was betrayed, a meal we're going to commemorate in a minute. When you see what Jesus, when he takes the loaves and the fish, uh, one commentator said there's actually two key Greek verbs that come into the passage when it talks about what Jesus does with their offering. It says he blessed it and he broke it. He blessed the bread and he broke it, which is just what Jesus did as he ate that last meal with his disciples, giving thanks for the bread and then breaking it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me, which would point gravely to that awful moment on the cross the very next day when Jesus blessed the very enemies that were killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He blessed them, and then he himself broke. That's the good shepherd who's inviting us to serve alongside him today. And the call of Jesus to his children is that we might come and serve. We might come and bless and break alongside him. Not at all because he needs our offerings or Jesus is somehow deficient in some way, but because, as I pray, we've seen this morning, because we're deficient. We are deficient in our own experience and in our own growth and in our own faith if we withhold our offerings, however small, and refuse to follow where he calls us. Some of us will refuse because of the size of the obstacles. Some of us will refuse simply because of the size of the offering. But along with the promise that a call to follow Jesus is a call to himself, may you always remember Jesus' question is never, do you have enough to meet this need I'm showing you? The question to you is simply, what do you have?